0: Genesis chapter number 29. Genesis chapter number 29, verse number 16. Man, I feel the presence of the Lord up here right now. If what I feel in my spirit is right, we're getting ready to see God do something here. Anybody hungry for it? Anybody hungry to break out of the norm and the routine and the regular? Anybody hungry to reach your destiny in him? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful. Those two phrases describe the difference between these two. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful. By virtue of contrast, we don't know exactly what tender-eyed means, but we know what but and beautiful mean. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It's better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Rachel. Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. For my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, And brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah, his maid, for a handmaid. And it came to pass in the morning. So in the evening, it's dark, no street lights. No LED lights. But in the morning, oh God, and it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said unto Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so And fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. I want you to look at verse 26. Verse 26 is an explanation to a foreigner of a law in the country of Laban. He said, here's the rules in our country. It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. I want to preach for a while tonight on the subject, the law of revival. The law of revival. God, I pray you help me. God, I pray you help me to preach the burden you've given me tonight for this church. God, for these families, for these men and women, for these young people and children. Oh, God, I pray that you help me to be empowered by your Spirit. Let me walk under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. With the demonstration of your spirit, confirm your word with signs following. God, I pray you do something monumental in this congregation tonight. I pray, God, that you do something that becomes a watershed moment for families in this church. That when they look back generations from now, they say that's the night that everything changed for our family. God, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray that we learn to live by the law of revival. Let it be in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Give the Lord a great hand clap of praise tonight. And you can be seated. A man from Padan Aram by the name of Laban had two daughters. In our text, we illustrated while reading. That the younger Rachel was beautiful and well favored, while the older one, the Bible simply called her tender eyed. The context of the scripture seems to make Leah a far less attractive female from Jacob's perspective. Jacob. Instantly fell in love with Rachel. It was love at first sight. From the moment that he saw her coming to water her father's camels, Jacob was smitten at the heart. His first interaction with her was to kiss her and then he cried like a baby. It had to be God to overcome that. Instantly, he was in love with her. He volunteered to work seven years for the privilege to have her hand in marriage. According to the customs of the day, her father prepared a feast in honor of the marriage. Dignitaries were invited. And then, as the darkness of night began to descend over the camp, the marriage, according to ancient custom, was to be consummated. Here is where the intrigue begins. Laban places Leah in the tent to wait for Jacob. Under the cover of darkness, Jacob consummates the marriage with Leah instead of Rachel. When the morning light dawns and the first rays of sunlight enter into Jacob's tent, he wipes the sleep from his eyes and to his personal horror, he realizes that he has been tricked into marrying tender-eyed Leah rather than beautiful, well-favored Rachel. For seven long years, he labored under the heat of the Middle Eastern sun, working with every day the thought that soon I'll have the hand of Rachel in marriage. But Jacob has realized now that her father has tricked him and he goes to Laban to settle the issue. There are some things we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure why Leah had not yet been married. We don't know exactly the precise meaning of the phrase tenderized. But we know that contrasted with Rachel's beauty, Leah was considered a far less attractive female. We do know that Jacob was attracted to Rachel and he was not at all happy for having ended up with Leah. The Bible said in Genesis 29, 25... And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? I don't serve you for Leah. I served you for Rachel. When I volunteered to join your family, It wasn't with thoughts of Leah. It was with thoughts of Rachel. While I herded your cattle and tended your sheep, I didn't herd your cattle and tend your sheep for Leah. What I had in mind was my marriage to Rachel. Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Why have you tricked me? I volunteered for Rachel, but what I got was Leah. You have beguiled me. That word means to betray or to deal treacherously. It's the same word that's used for a bowman or an archer in an army. He said, you might as well have shot me through the heart with an arrow than to trick me this way. They didn't have fancy houses in those days. They lived in tents. There was no soundproofing. Poor Leah sits outside of her father's tent listening to Jacob argue with him. She listens through the canvas knowing that Jacob doesn't love her, knowing that Jacob doesn't find her attractive. She hears his anger, his loathing, his white-hot resentment. Jacob has the promise of Abraham and Isaac upon him. He bought the birthright from Esau and Isaac placed the blessing upon him. With that blessing comes the promise from Jacob would come nations. From him would come a kingdom. From him would come a Messiah and a Savior. Jacob had divine destiny locked up inside of him. In Jacob were prophets and priests, nations and redemption. In him was the son of promise. For all of that to come to fruition, he has to have a bride that can birth kings and princes and prophets And priests, and his dream was that Rachel would be the mother of the nations, and that she would be the one that hand in hand would fulfill his destiny. But in the morning, it was Leah and not Rachel. And he wants his dream back, he wants his image of his future back, so he's arguing. With Laban for his destiny. We know by the Word of God that Jacob ended up married to both beautiful, well favored Rachel and old, tender eyed Leah. All of his destiny came through the wombs of his two wives, Leah and Rachel. Leah and Rachel become the mothers of a kingdom. Beautiful Rachel and tender-eyed Leah. It appears that they could not have been more opposite from each other. Other than having the same blood, it appears that they have nothing in common with each other. But it took both of them to birth a kingdom. It took both of them to birth a nation. May I tell you tonight that God has called us to be a holy kingdom and a holy nation. Amen. Praise God. In that sense, we need a Leah and a Rachel that will birth his kingdom in our generation. Rachel is beautiful. When she walks into the room, Jacob feels the rush of affection and desire. There's something holy and inspiring that happens When the beautiful presence of the anointing of God moves into a room, it ought to do something in the heart of a man of God, of a church. When the presence of God sweeps, hallelujah, when the power and the beauty of his presence moves in the house of God, there is something that automatically happens. We saw it. We saw it just a little while ago when they were singing about the presence of God. People started to worship and lift their hands and praise Him. When they began to sing, there's no one like you. People began to shout because there's something beautiful. There's something beautiful about the presence of God. It makes me passionate about worship. Amen. I said it makes me passionate about worship. I still love to praise him when his glory moves in the house. Hallelujah. Something gets a hold of my heart when I feel the presence of God come in this room and I begin to sense that there's something beautiful happening in somebody's life when I watch people lift their hands and begin to seek God. There's something beautiful that happens when I watch lives turned around, transformed, set free, picked up. In the print, there's something beautiful about when a drug addict comes and lays their addiction at an altar and God fills them with the joy of the Holy Ghost. There's something beautiful about a family that once was in turmoil that comes to an altar and God begins to move. There's something beautiful about an alcoholic that walks away from the bottle because they found more joy in the presence. There's something beautiful. There's something beautiful when healing virtue begins to flow. Man, I feel something. I wish you'd help engage right now. There's something that happens when we get to hearing about the miracles and the power and the presence of God. There's something awesome that happens when somebody comes to an altar and repents of their sins. I wish somebody just praise him right now for the beauty of his presence. But Leah doesn't have the same effect as Rachel does. Leah doesn't capture his affection. She doesn't pique his desire. Leah doesn't move his heart like Rachel does. Leah walks in the room and Jacob looks the other way. Leah walks into the room. And he feels anger creep up in his heart at Laban for having tricked him into marrying her. When Leah walks into the room, resentment rises in his spirit that he's been forced to live with tender-eyed Leah. Rachel walks in and joy floods his heart. Leah walks in and it just doesn't feel the same way. But it took both the beautiful and the ugly to birth a kingdom. Both of them are the mothers of the nation of Israel. Leah's not beautiful. She's not enticing. She's not appealing. But Leah is essential to the destiny of the nation of Israel. If there is no Leah, then there is no Levi And if there's no Levi, there's no ministry. And if there's no ministry, there's no one to preach and no one to pray and no one to cast out devils and no one to baptize people. If there's no Leah, then there's no Judah, and if there's no Judah, then there's no praise, and if there's no Judah, there's no Lion of the tribe of Judah, and if there's no Lion of the tribe of Judah, then there's no cross, and there's no blood, and there's no redemption, and there's no upper room, and there's no there's no praying through, so it takes Leah to birth a kingdom. Without Leah, there's no ministry, and there's no redemption. praise you. Genesis 29, 25 through 27, it came to pass in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Did I not serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Look what you've done to me. I've wasted all these years serving you. I served you all these years thinking I was getting beauty and you gave me ugly. I served all these years thinking that I was getting revival and what you gave me was Leah. I came all these years to serve and to worship. And all, and all the time I was thinking about the beauty of his presence and the beauty of Rachel. And then I find out that it's not all about Rachel. There's some Leah involved in my life. And why have you done this to me? Why didn't you tell me up front? That I wasn't always going to have beauty in my life. Why didn't you tell me that there'd be some suffering and some pain and some trials along the way? Why didn't you warn me in advance that there was going to be a time when I didn't see Rachel, but instead what I saw was Leah? Why did you beguile me? You've tricked me. And Laban said, wait a second, buddy. Listen to me. You're not on the green hillsides of Israel anymore. You're not not sitting with your toes in the Jordan River right now, buddy. You're not over on Mount Hermon, enjoying the dew in the morning. You've come to a different kingdom now. You've come to a different jurisdiction. You're no longer where your laws work. When you cross the border into my country, You have agreed to live by the laws of my land. Hallelujah. And he said, it must not be so done in our country. You see, I don't know how you do it, where you're from, but here, I can't give you the beauty before the firstborn. I can't give you Rachel until you've lived with Leah. So here's what you're gonna do, big boy. You're going to dry up your whining and your crying and your complaining and you're going to turn around and you're going to fulfill her week. You're going to do your job. You're going to keep your responsibilities and I'll give you Rachel also. It's both or it's nothing. You can't have beauty without Leah. If you're going to have beauty, then you got to live with Leah. So if you want revival, if you want the beauty, then you're going to have to live by the law of the land of revival. I'm preaching tonight that when we joined the church, we signed into a different kingdom than the one we used to live in. In the old kingdom, it's all about pleasure and it's all about joy and it's all about beauty. But in this kingdom, it's about birthing ministry and praise and redemption. And there's a law of revival that says you can't have Rachel till you lived with Leah a little while. Come on. The law of revival is you have to live with Leah. If you want to get Rachel, if you live with Leah, you can have a ministry. Some people want a ministry, but they only want the Leah side of it. They only want the, the, the revival side of it, the miracle side of it. They only want the shouting side of it. They want a ministry, but they don't want the Leah side of ministry. They just want the beauty of being able to count how many people did this or did that. They want the beauty of being able to shout in the presence of God, but turn around and walk away and be barren and have nobody in the altar and nobody in the baptistry and nobody praying through. They want a ministry to get people to shout, but not to birth Levi and not to birth Judah. But if you really want to have revival, the law says it's not all about the shout and it's not all about the beauty. There's some things we have to live with. And so, hallelujah. is it just me that feels like there's something profound happening in the Holy Ghost right now I'm, I'm the one preaching it so I'm subject to think that maybe it's just me but I wonder if there's anybody else here that you can sense that there's something that God's trying to pull out of Bethlehem church tonight that God's trying to pull us to another place in the spirit that God's trying to birth something inside of this church May I tell you that Jacob didn't build a kingdom only with Rachel. He didn't birth a nation only with Leah. But Israel came to pass because of Rachel and Leah. It took both of them to birth the anointing of God. Can I tell you, it takes the beauty and the ugly. It takes the exciting praise service and also the deep, wrenching cry of intercessory prayer that digs us into an altar. It's not pretty, but it births something in the church that can't come any other way. It takes worship, but it also takes weeping. It takes fellowship, but it also takes fasting. It takes Rachel, and it takes Leah, and I'm here tonight tonight To do two things, I'm here to prophesy another level of revival, but that other level of revival must have Leah along with it. Lift your hands to heaven right now. I'm getting ready to prophesy some stuff into this church tonight. And by preaching, by prophesying it into the church, I'm prophesying it into your family and your kinfolk. I'm here to tell you there is indeed in 2023 going to be a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost on Bethlehem, on you, on your family, on your marriage, on your children. There will be a mighty, beautiful outpouring of the Spirit on your life. Come on, somebody. If you want it, you ought to reach out for it right now. If you're hungry for it, you ought to lift your voice and say, God, I want that. I want the beauty of watching my kids worship. I want the beauty of seeing my kids baptized with the Holy Ghost. I want the beauty of seeing my family come to an altar. I want the beauty of revival. I'm prophesying a breakthrough for some people that you've been stagnant for weeks, months, and maybe years, and you're hungry for more, and you feel like it's beyond your grasp. I'm telling you, it is not beyond your grasp. It is on your doorstep, and it's going to happen in a powerful outpouring of the Spirit. It is the beauty of Rachel that's going to seize upon this place. I am prophesying that there is going to be an outpouring of miracles, signs, and wonders happening in this place. To the point that people will make trips here just to be touched by the hand of God. Amen. Look, I'm not pastoring all the other churches that might be watching online. I'm pastoring this church. It's not my job to worry about what other people think. It's my job to breathe into this church the Word of God. And the Word of God is that God's going to use you in the power of the Spirit, in the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. There's going to be stuff happening. There's going to be things happen that are going to shape this community that happened right here within the walls of this church. I'm speaking about. I'm talking about a Rachel revival. I'm talking about a Rachel revival that everybody around is going to say, I want some of that. Everybody wants Rachel. Everybody loves Rachel. Everybody thinks Rachel's beautiful. I'm going to tell you one of the things that, I've, that this, this, this last year or so has, has kind of turned my, my, my thinking upside down. I used to hate summertime. I love the weather, but I hate people just all scattering to the seven winds for vacation. I don't mind you going. If you can't afford to go, I can't either. And so I don't mind you going. But I used to just, you know, just, just the fluctuation in crowd. And I used to hate holiday weekends. Whew. Man. Because, because, what, because, because the crowd's down. And, the, and when the crowd's down, the intensity goes down. But what I watched all last summer, we had the biggest crowds we've ever had consistently. Every Sunday night, all summer long. I mean, there there were people come in. I couldn't find a parking place. I couldn't find a place. I drove around the parking lot two or three times before I found a place to park. Parking in the grass because they can't find a spot on a Sunday night in the middle of the summer. Why? Because people wanted to come to be a part of what was going on. There was a Rachel revival going on and they knew that there was going to be an encounter with the beautiful Rachel when they came here. And so they came from all over. They would bring people from rehab centers and in one night, we'd baptize eight, nine, ten, twelve of them in Jesus' name. And they, Because when they came, they felt the beauty of Rachel. They saw the hope, the beauty of hope that came into this place. But may I tell you that that's not, you don't just get Rachel without Leah. Can I tell you why we've had the last three years we've had? Because the first time Jennifer Williams came, and we were in a low place as a church. We were in a struggle, in a fight for survival. And Jennifer Williams came, and she said, Prayer can do everything that God can do. And she began to pray and preach and prophesy to this church about a revival of prayer that was going to get a hold of this place. Amen. And I, we had Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night revival. And when Thursday night was over, man, I was war slap out. We were here till God knows what. And, and about 6.30 in the morning, the next morning, here she is ringing my doorbell. <laughs> standing on my porch, talking in tongues. <laughs> She comes in, Pastor V, God has woke me up with a word for you and for your family and for your church. Get your wife and kids. So I get my wife and kids. I'm not positive if Ellie and Kate even remember it. They might have been sleepwalking for all I know. But she put a chair in the middle of our, of our living room, and one by one, she began to pray over our family. She got me in that chair last, and she began to speak things that I had not told her at all, and she began to speak, and then she began to prophesy that as this church rises up in prayer, that God was going to send a revival. So you know what we did? We started having Monday night family prayer. We started having ladies' prayer on Tuesday night. We had pre-service prayer on Wednesday night. We had men's prayer on Thursday night. We had volunteers to pray on Friday because there's so much stuff going on. And we had youth prayer on Saturday. And we had pre-service prayer Sunday morning and Sunday night. And as we began to pray and seek God daily in the house of God for a move of the Spirit, something began to change in the church. And the next thing you knew, while we were, while we were living with Leah on Monday night and Tuesday. And Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday, while we were spending time praying and seeking God for revival, God was getting Rachel ready. Hallelujah. While we were living with Leah, the Father was preparing Rachel for a grand outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And because we didn't walk out on Leah, but we committed ourselves to consistent prayer, God began to send revival. And may I tell you that we fell in love with Rachel, but I'm afraid we've forgotten about Leah. And so I come to you tonight giving you the law of revival. You can indeed have Rachel but you cannot have her without Leah. You can have miracles and signs and wonders, but you can't have it without prayer and fasting and intercession. You can have powerful worship services, but you can't have it without powerful prayer meetings too. You can have powerful altar services but you can't have it without weeping between the porch and the altar. There are some things that only come when you embrace what other people in the world think is of ugly. Everybody likes miracles. Everybody likes signs and wonders. Everybody likes revival but few and far between are the churches that are willing to dedicate themselves in prayer and fasting uh, to fight the battles against hell to set people free that hate you and hate the church talking about us right now but by faith in prayer by living with Leah we break strongholds and walls and bondage on people's lives and before long the same people talking about you are asking you to bring in the church because Leah has unleashed Rachel I'm doing sermon surgery right now cutting stuff out can I tell our young preachers you can have a powerful ministry but you can't really have apostolic revival if all you love is Rachel if the whole goal of preaching is to get people to shout then that's just Rachel And we need Rachel. But you don't really get Rachel till you've had Leah. Can I tell moms and dads, you can have revival in your home. Your kids that look beyond reach. Your kids that seem like they're so far and so cold that nothing can touch them. They can experience a Rachel revival that breathes new life into them. But they cannot experience it if you don't come to grips with Leah and prayer, and fasting, and dedication to God. Oh, you're not shouting now like you are a while ago. Rachel makes everybody shout. Rachel gets everybody happy. Rachel's beautiful to everyone. But Leah's not pretty to anybody. But if we don't dig in deep, in prayer and fasting, then the revival we've experienced is in its waning moments and we can wave it goodbye in the rearview mirror or we can say, come on, Leah, we'll embrace you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, of my, one of my favorite places in all of Israel, I would dare say it's my second favorite location on our entire trip that we were in three years ago was when we went to Hebron. Hebron is in the West Bank. We went to Hebron and there is an ancient building that is built over a sacred site. When you step into this building, you go in And what you see is the tomb of Abraham and the tomb of Sarah. You have this sense that something ancient and powerful is there. The father of faith is below ground at your feet. And you go a little bit further, and you find the tomb of Isaac and Rebekah. The man who allowed himself to be laid on an altar and an angel intervened. And you have this sense that there's something awesome and awe-inspiring. And you go a little bit further and you see the tomb of Jacob, the man who had hand-to-hand combat. With an angel of god and many believe god himself that he changed that day and next to the tomb of jacob it's not the tomb of rachel you see rachel died and when she died they buried her respectfully on the side of the pathway they were traveling but then when leah died Jacob said, take her to where my fathers are buried. And so they take the body of Leah. Leah that years before he despised her. Years before he was angry. Years before he tried to take her back and trade her in. But now she has birthed him a kingdom. She's given birth to the ministry. And she's given birth to Judah and she's given birth to the line from which Jesus would come from. Jesus didn't come from Rachel. He came from Leah. Jesus didn't come from the beauty of Rachel. He came from the ugly, tender-eyed womb of Leah. And after all these years, my God, I feel something dancing up and down my neck right now. After all these years, after despising old tender-eyed Leah, When she finally dies, he holds her. In his arms, and he says, We can't just bury her by the side of the road. Oh no, this is a queen. This is the mother of a nation. We don't just bury her in a cave off on the side of the road or dig a hole. This is the matriarch of the kingdom of God. This is one of the great great grandmothers of the Messiah of Jesus himself. We can't just bury her here. We've got to take her back and get. And so when you walk past the tomb of Jacob, you walk to this place. And there, in Hebron, it says the tomb of the matriarch, Leah. Because finally, Jacob realized that without Leah, there's no kingdom. There's no priests. There's no kings. There's no princes. There's no prophets. There's no temple. There's no cross. There's no upper room. There's no church. He learned to embrace Leah. It was the gift of hindsight of looking back and seeing, all that this poor tender-eyed Leah had brought to him. I wonder, I wonder if while he had her dead body in his arms, he's kneeling down at the ground. He's placing her dead body in the tomb. I wonder if he regretted the way he talked about her to Laban. I wonder if he ever regretted the moments he made her feel unwanted and unloved and uncared for. I wonder, look, I've I've watched it happen. I watched it happen in my own family. I watched my mom and dad have a marriage that was full of turmoil, constant turmoil for years. I watched while they said things to each other they should never have said. But then I watched my dad stand by the fresh dirt mound of my mother's grave and weep with regret over years that he wished he could take back. And I wonder if Jake, as he's pushing the first handfuls of dirt and he hears it trickle on to the body of Leah, I'm sorry that I ever made you feel like I didn't care. I'm sorry for all the times that you called me close and I wouldn't come to you. I'm sorry for all the times you reached out and I turned my back. And so with a supreme sense of gratitude, he buries her in the same place as Abraham and Sarah. Sarah. Isaac and Rebecca, the tomb of the matriarch, Leah, the mother of a nation. God, I'm sorry for every time I've ever felt you call me to prayer, and I just didn't want to do it. God, I'm tired for all the times that you told me if I'll go on a fast, you'll move, and I just didn't want it. I'm sorry for all the times I turned my back on all the things that really produce real ministry and real redemption. God, when you called me to build a prayer life, I was too busy. I was too caught up in the beauty of revival. But take time to notice that without Leah, I have nothing. Church, if all we ever do is learn to shout and we don't learn to intercede, we are a lopsided church. Oh God. If all we ever learn to do is clap our hands to music, know when to stand, when to sit, when to sway, and we never learn to get in an altar and cry out and intercede before God for the souls of lost people. Then we are a lopsided church. You want to know why churches far and wide can have the right doctrine and the right worship, the right message, but they never have revival. They are intoxicated on Rachel and they have despised Leah. There's a call of prayer and fasting on this congregation. There is a call of prayer and fasting on moms and dads. You will not break the bondages off your family just by shouting and talking in tongues. It's going to take mourning and weeping and intercession and groanings that come from the depth of the soul. Only God knows the depth of the pain. But that pain is birthing a breakthrough. Because until you've lived with Leah, the Father won't let you have Rachel. It's the law of the kingdom. It's the law of the kingdom. You can never really have Rachel until you've lived with your Leah. And so right now, there's a call. Come on, if you feel it, you ought to just open your mouth and begin to pray. It's the beckoning It's the beckoning of Leah on your spirit right now. What you're feeling right now, that drawing, it's the beckoning of Leah on your heart. Saying, come into me. Embrace me. Live with me. You'll get Rachel soon enough. But spend some time with me before you do. Spend some time in intercession. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time seeking God. Spend some time in fasting. Build your Rachel because you've lived with Leah. And can I tell, I'm getting ready to prophesy something else to those of you that have prayed and interceded and groaned for weeks and months and years over your family. I've come to tell you that Rachel's on her way. I've come to tell you your revival is on her way. Your breakthrough for your family is on its way. Your breakthrough for your spirit is on its way. Rachel, Rachel's coming down the road. Oh, come on. There ought to be people laying all over this altar. There ought to be people laying between pews. Oh, that's right. I feel it starting to break out. I feel it starting to break out. It goes beyond emotion. It goes beyond feeling. It's to the realm of God. I need you to do something like like I can't do myself. It's the birth of revival. What you're hearing is the birth of revival, it's the travail that brings a breakthrough. It's the law of revival. Come on moms and dads, come on grandma and grandpa, shake heaven with your prayers for your babies. session draw us oh God deeper draw us deeper in spiritual disciplines so we can birth the beauty that we want to see hell fears nothing like it fears a praying church hell fears nothing like it fears a praying mama Or praying daddy hell fears nothing like he fears a praying youth group he's not afraid of carnal preachers he's not afraid of carnal teachers but it shakes him to the core if a man of God will get a hold of prayer and fasting it's the law of revival there's a call on us tonight God there's a call on us tonight Lord there's a beckoning of Leah you find somebody to link up with if you're not in deep prayer find somebody and begin to link up where two or three are gathered together in the name of the lord in the name of the lord there's breakthroughs you can pray your husband through in prayer months before he ever comes to church because you prayed it in an altar and it's prepared the pathway for Leah. You can break chains off of your family in prayer long before you ever see the result. But it happens because Leah.